Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Vori's IP podcast. My name's Carrie Jordan, and I'll be your host for today's episode. Today, our guest is a friend of mine, Hope Shimabuko. Hope is the director of the Texas Regional United States Patent and Trademark Office. As regional director, Hope is responsible for leading the Texas office and for carrying out the strategic direction of the Undersecretary of Commerce for Intellectual Property and the director of the USPTO. Prior to joining the regional office, Hope had nearly two decades of experience as an engineer and an intellectual property attorney. Welcome to the podcast, Hope. Thank you, Carrie. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Hope, I wanted to invite you to be our guest this month as March is Women's History Month. We at Voris have been honoring Women's History Month in several ways, including highlighting various women innovators on our Voris Intellectual Property LinkedIn page. As a continuation of our efforts to honor women and their contributions to innovation, we thought it would be really interesting for our listeners to hear from you about what the USPTO has been doing recently with respect to increasing the participation of women and minorities in the innovation ecosphere. And I know diversity in IP is a topic we are both passionate about. Absolutely, Carrie, and thank you again for having me here today. So Hope, let's kick off this discussion with some statistics. It's true that women, people of color, and lower income individuals patent inventions at significantly lower rates than their male, white, and wealthier counterparts. In fact, fewer than 20% of all US patents today list a woman as an inventor. And interestingly, among college graduates, fewer than half as many African-Americans and Hispanics hold patents compared to their white counterparts. Additionally, a child born in the US to a family living below the median income level is 10 times less likely to receive a patent in his or her lifetime than a child born to a family in the top 1% of income. So against this backdrop, Hope, it's been argued that these disparities hold back economic growth and US leadership and innovation. Can you speak to how the USPTO views these statistics and any recent studies done addressing these issues? The USPTO has always recognized a symbiotic relationship between the economy and IP ownership. In fact, in a 2021 report that was released by the USPTO entitled IP and the US Economy, the third edition, the report indicated that in 2019, IP intensive industries accounted for 41% of the total economic activity and a total of 62.5 million US jobs directly or indirectly. Wow. It's amazing how much there's a tie. And so as a result, we recognize the importance between IP ownership for business today and how that relates to the importance of having more women minorities and other economically disadvantaged individuals participate in the innovation ecosphere, and particularly for the USPTO in the invention world, which is part of the reason why we put together a report called the Progress and Potential Report that you mentioned. In that particular report, there were several key findings that I found particularly interesting. One was that out of the share of all the patents that were included in the study, which was about a 40-year study, there was at least one woman as an inventor, and that increased from about 7% in the 1980s to 21% by 2016. But even with the increase in patent counts, women inventors made up only 12% of all the inventors on the patents granted in 2016, which we are calling the annual women inventor rate. And so while now there is at least 
one woman on 22% of U.S. patents, only about 13% of all the inventors in U.S. patents are women. And these numbers are lower than similar measures if we compare them against foreign patents. So what we found actually in that report is that there were significant gains in female participation in science and engineering occupations and entrepreneurship, but they are not leading to broad increases in female inventors in patents themselves. There were certain technology intensive states, as well as those where women comprise a large percentage of the state's overall workforce, showing a higher rate of women inventors. And women inventors are increasingly concentrated in specific technologies, suggesting that women are specializing in areas where female predecessors, such as the chemical arts, have traditionally patented rather than entering into more male dominated fields. And moreover, Women who have found success in patenting before tend to continue to patent in the future. In fact, as of 2014, about 46% of new women inventor patentees remained active after receiving their first patent. Those statistics are so interesting to me and really consistent with what I've seen in my practice. And in some ways, I think they're kind of frightening. Um, And the trend about where you're seeing women inventors in chemical arts and biotech is also a trend that we see in women in IP law because that really is where you see a concentration of women in our practice. So I find that really interesting. Now in 2020, the USPTO published an update on this study. I think it was called the 2020 update on US women inventor patentees. What do you think were some of those key findings in the 2020 update? Yes, so in the 2020 report, we added an additional three years of data, which actually accounted for almost 1 million more patents, believe it or not. That's crazy. I know, it's amazing how fast we are patenting today. When I started my practice, we were at 4 million, Hope, I think. And now look at it. Really? Yeah, now we're at um, over 11 million. And so we hit 11 million last year. And so, but in the 2020 study, what that showed was that more women were entering and staying active in the patent system than ever before, which is fantastic. And so there was a slight increase in um, the number of patents that had at least one woman inventor. And the woman inventor rate increased slightly from 12.1% in 2016 to almost 13% in 2019. And the total share of women among new inventors on patents increased from 16.6% in 2016 to 17.3% by 2019. So lots of numbers, but great increases across the board. What we also saw was that the gender gap in the number of women inventors who remain active by patenting again within the five years is decreasing, which is great in and of itself. And so the report also found that the percentage of women among all new inventor patentees increased from about 5% in 1980 to 17.3% by the end of 2019. Interestingly enough, Wyoming 
had the largest change in the annual woman inventor rate in the last three years between 2016 and 2019. And since we are in Texas, I have to brag a little bit about Texas with respect to this report. Texas is one of the top four states where 42% of all women inventor patentees reside. So the, um, out of the entire country, there's four states um, that account for 42% of the women inventor patentees. And Texas is within um, that top four states. And Texas has historically been rated the number one location from female entrepreneurs by Fit Small Business um, in January of 2019. So I anticipate that those numbers will continue to increase and we'll see a lot more acceleration of Texas women inventors participating as inventors on patents. Well, it's thrilling to see these improvements, um, and especially in Texas, as I sit in Texas too. So I think that that is just fascinating. But what's interesting to me is that the USPTO doesn't require that inventors identify their gender or their ethnicity or their race, at least to date, there's no requirement. So I'm wondering, in, in view of the importance of these studies and this topic, do you see that changing in light of the importance? That's a really great question. Currently right now, we don't have the statutory authority to do so, but we are in the process of monitoring legislation introduced on Capitol Hill that would authorize us to collect more demographic information on applications. However, in the meantime, we have been and continue to focus on expanding our outreach to underrepresented communities through many initiatives, including our Council for Inclusive Innovation Initiative, short is CI squared. But we also held things like the Invention Harvesting Roundtables, which was a series of roundtables hosted by the regional offices to understand best practices and how to increase inventions among gender, ethnicity, and other diverse metrics. We've also been increasing access to diverse patent agents and attorneys by increasing who can sit for the patent bar. Specifically, we increased um, the number of bachelor's degrees that are accepted, including aerospace engineering, bioengineering, genetic engineering, genetics, marine engineering and textile engineering, to name a few. But we also added that if you have an advanced degree, like a master's or a PhD in any of the categories that I just listed, as well as any of the other engineering and hard science disciplines that were currently already available, you can also sit for the patent bar. All of this to be able to increase access to more diverse patent agents and attorneys um, and so inventors could access them as well. In addition to that, um, the regional offices as well as our headquarters have all been providing um, education and training to small businesses, entrepreneurs, and inventors by connecting the dots on how IP impacts business. So for example, um, where you might see IP provisions when you're doing business through either your supplier agreements, your software licenses, your employment agreements, understand the importance of having an IP strategy as part of your business strategy, teaching people and stakeholders about how to apply for patents and trademarks, teaching them about the tie between ownership of IP 
and access to capital, giving them the basics of how to apply for patents and trademarks, expanding our Invention Con series and other similar programs by featuring successful entrepreneurs who used IP to get to where they are. In addition to that, providing resources um, through the USPTO for free in addition to the training, but included in that are access to law school clinics, pro bono attorneys, and other inventor resources, including 1-800 numbers that stakeholders can call and they are manned by US uh, PTO personnel to be able to answer your questions on patents and trademarks. We've also been focusing a lot on creating a pipeline for future entrepreneurs by teaching teachers through our National Teachers Institute, which we hold actually every summer. And right now, if you're interested in this or know of a teacher who is in the STEM area, um, and they are wanting to apply, our applications are open. And this year's National Teachers Institute is a week-long program and it will be held virtually. Is that on the website? Is that where people can find the National Teachers Institute? Yes, so they can find that information on um, USPTO.gov. If you go into our STEM um, section, they can go on and apply for the National Teachers Institute and be an applicant for that particular program. Um, and if you miss this year and you're not available this year, we do hold this every year. So next year, um, hopefully it'll be in person. And that is something that um, people can actually apply for again next year. And so the last thing that I was going to bring up is one of the other things that we focused on um, and that I've been speaking a lot on is how to promote a culture of DEI in the workplace. Because in my mind, each of us has a role in that and through our efforts and it, it will hopefully roll into increasing number of women, minorities and other underserved individuals participating in the innovation ecosystem. Right. I speak on it as well and actually have a program for clients that we look to help them in, increase their DEI in the workplace in the innovation ecosystem. So like I said, this is a topic near and dear to both of our hearts. But mm -hmm. I want to hear more about the Council for Inclusive Innovation or the CI Squared you mentioned. What's its mission? That's a great question. And um, CI Squared is a great initiative that the USPTO started, and it is currently chaired by Secretary Romando, who is the Secretary of the Department of Commerce. And the purpose of it is to help develop a comprehensive national strategy to increase participation in our innovation ecosystem by encouraging, empowering, and supporting all future innovators. That includes increasing the involvement of women and other underrepresented groups. The plan itself, the Comprehensive National Strategy, is scheduled to be issued soon. And the CI Squared Strategy um, will include a comprehensive lifelong approach that spurs interest in innovation and inventing and then provide for increased access to the innovation ecosystem. And through this, by encouraging, empowering, and supporting all future innovators, the CI Square will be an important catalyst for increasing opportunity and fueling the United States innovation economy, as well as other efforts to bolster DEIA in innovation. So hope I also, in addition to CI Squared, I understand that the USPTO has put forth some best practices for increasing diversity and innovation. Can you speak to those? And then also, where can our listeners find the, the best practices guide if they're interested? 
Yes. And so as I mentioned um, a little while ago, the regional offices actually engaged in a series of invention harvesting roundtables in 2020. And this was actually a collaboration that we did with the Santa Clara Law High Tech Institute. And the study was a study designed to increase diversity in the patenting process. And it specifically targeted in-house IP legal departments and their practices with the goal of the study being very simple, to harvest the collective knowledge of nationwide IP professionals and then to produce a practical guide to foster a more diverse population of inventors. Um, there was a, a report that was actually issued and the research team actually collected an extensive list of over 90 best practices through the series of six different roundtables um, held in cooperation with the USPTO. And it consolidated the collective wisdom of 73 IP professionals and attorneys from the US's leading companies at the time of the first publication of this manual. And the guide actually um, was presented in three very simple, easy to read categories um, and tables. There was an area in which you could do it now, do it this year, or do it next year. And so when we're thinking about um, the different tables, things that you can do now, they are practices that are likely to be budget neutral, they're easy to implement, and usually within the authority of an IP attorney that is in-house or an IP manager. It'd be simple things like celebrating IP day, inviting anyone, not just your standard group of engineers or your R&D folks, but anyone in the company to attend IP training, and then including things like inventor taglines in your signature block or business cards like I'm an innovator or I'm an epic inventor. Other things that you could do in a year are practices that may require three to nine months of planning because they require some sort of coordination with other groups or departments and or the creation of certain tools, content or systems. And so some of those things that you could do um, this year is spotlight diverse in inventors in the internet or company meetings, create an internal website presence for IP departments. In addition to, like I said, do it now, expanding your audience for training. The last category are things that will take a little bit longer. So things that you might do next year. So those are practices that will likely take six to 12 months of planning to implement because um, again, similar to the one before, they are going to be taking additional um, coordination with different departments, may require moderate or significant budgetary planning and or require buy-in from high level management. So some of those ideas included developing an IP skills college and or an R&D university where innovators can receive in-depth IP training. Um, something else is making your IP awareness mobile and taking your IP training on a roadshow to different locations. Implementing IP training for all newly acquired groups or companies and then having IP create an employee resource group for diverse inventor groups, um, such as women inventing. The website for this particular guide is in the notes to this particular podcast.
Right. And that's a reminder to listeners that all of the websites that we're listing and including links to the reports that Hope's discussed are going to be in the notes for the podcast. So if you want to uh, read them themselves or if the numbers went by too quickly, that's a great place to find them and to delve in. So so Hope, I really appreciate this discussion. I'm thrilled with what the PTO is doing, and I know that we're going to see great strides in women and minorities in our inventor status. So before we sign off, is there any other news you want to share about the Texas Regional Office of the USPTO in Dallas? Yes, absolutely. Well, first of all, can you believe that it has been six years since the opening of the office? No, I I remember the party. The party was so much fun. (laughs) I know. I can't believe that time has flown by so quickly, but we've been here for about six years. And so the Texas Regional Office actually covers eight states, including Texas, the surrounding states, Tennessee, Mississippi, and Alabama. And our coverage is um, for outreach purposes. But since the opening of the Texas Regional Office, we've had about 305 USPTO employees associated with the Texas Regional Office, including 143 brand new patent examiners, 24 PTAB judges, and we've increased our USPTO presence throughout the region with 399 teleworking employees in Texas alone. And during this time, we've held more than 1,400 IP-related trainings and stakeholders, reaching almost 93,000 stakeholders. And by the end of this fiscal year, which ends in September, we anticipate reaching 100,000 stakeholders through our IP trainings and stakeholder meetings. I'm particularly proud of some of the unique programs and collaborations that we've actually set up throughout this time, including the Pro Bono Tour with the State Bar of Texas IP section, which is a collaboration that we have been holding throughout the state of Texas that we provide a one-day workshop to inventors and entrepreneurs in under-resourced locations, including places like McAllen and Brownsville, El Paso. We're gonna be going to Alpine, Texas this year, as well as Midland and Odessa. We've also done programs with um, that are fun, like the IPF craft beer or IP to IPA programs, where we discuss IP associated with craft beer at a craft beer location where we're able to um, enjoy our visit and take a tour. We've also done China IP Roadshows, which is an all-day program focused on IP enforcement with particular emphasis on China. And then our Veteran Business Outreach Center and Patriot Boot Camp Programs, which is IP training to veterans who are leaving military service and joining the private sector and giving them the tools to be able to start their own entrepreneurial um, path. Some of the other things with respect to minority and women entrepreneurs that we worked on um, includes the Houston Tech Rodeo um, panel that we did a few weeks ago entitled The Art of New, Women in Tech Launching Their Business, which featured successful women entrepreneurs who use IP as their formula for sex hacks. We're also working with the women business centers and micro lenders such as Lyft Fund, which is a low interest loan, which provides low interest loans for women businesses located in San Antonio. And we provide IP training and have one-on-one sessions with um, their clients of those organizations. 
We're also, um, we worked on the NextGen program with the University of Houston, which was a three-day boot camp on IP for minority students targeting towards um, the energy tech sector. And we give them tools on IP and run through different exercises to be able to engage them in thinking about IP as they are thinking about different business ideas, particularly geared towards the energy tech sector. And recently um, at South by Southwest, in Austin, we actually, the USPTO participate in South by Southwest every year. And we have some sort of program or a panel presentation that we have. This year, we had um, two particular programs that were emphasized towards women and minority um, entrepreneurs and lawyers. And in particular, one of them was strengthening the innovation ecosystem panel at South by, which featured minority and women inventors. And then we also had another program, which I spoke about earlier, which is promoting a culture of DEI in the workplace, which was a collaboration with eight minority diverse bar associations, along with several law firms and one company to discuss tips for um, building DEI in the workplace. And it was a fantastic program all around. Well, it sounds awesome. And I also hope you got to have some fun at South by Southwest, because that's always that's always a good place to be. It is. It is. So Hope, all of this has been really fascinating. We appreciate your time today and all that you and the USPTO are doing to increase the participation of women and minorities in the innovation ecosphere. I look forward to seeing you soon. All right. Thank you, Carrie. Thanks for having me. This has been an episode of the Vori's IP podcast. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions for either myself or our guest, please feel free to reach out to me. You can find me and other Vori's attorneys on the Vori's website or the Vori's IP page on LinkedIn. Also, if you have any ideas for topics or questions you would like us to address in another podcast, please reach out to me or Jeremy Harrison. Thank you. Thank you.